Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. of studying the Bible in context is that you actually get to read what it actually means and what God meant for it to mean. And so we're gonna hear from the heart of God today and I wanna encourage you to lean in with me uh, on that. So let's put this all in context. We're in John chapter 15. Jesus, it's the night that he would be arrested. He would be put on trial, illegally, but put on trial. And then he would be condemned to a murder, to death on the cross the following day. They're in, they have just been in the upper room. They've celebrated the Passover feast. They've celebrated uh, Jesus and his disciples, these 12 men, maybe some other followers, but definitely the 12 men are there. And Jesus has dropped some pretty heavy news on them. Uh, they had, uh, were, everything was, tr- was trending upward as far as their ministry goes, and then God's, Jesus will drop the hammer on, okay, but it's about to come to an end. I'm about to give my life as a ransom for men. It's, it's what I've been trying to tell you for three and a half years is coming to fruition in the very near future. And then they find out that one of their boys, one of their buddies, one of their friends, one of the, one of the 12 who had followed Jesus for three and a half years um, isn't one of them. He's betrayed them. He's betrayed Jesus, the son of God, Judas. They've learned that a man that they had worked to trust, had finally begun to trust, had really turned his back on them. And whether or not he was faking it for three and a half years is up for debate. They're wondering the same thing. They're having to wrestle with some of that. Then Jesus um, looks at Peter, one of the inner three, the core of the disciples, the one on, Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You're gonna lead this movement. It's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cha- charge you with this. And Jesus tells him, no matter how bold and brave you think you are, before the sun comes up tomorrow morning, you will have denied even knowing me three times. And Peter says, no, 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 I would die for you. In Matthew 22, Jesus finally lets Peter in on something. He says, hey, listen, Peter, Satan came to me. The enemy came to me. And he asked permission to sift you as wheat. And Peter's like, and you told him no, right? Because that's what a loving God would do. A loving God would say no. And Jesus says, so I've prayed for you. And Peter says, oh good, okay. Well at least, I mean if you're praying, I feel like I'm gonna get the results that I want. And I've prayed for you that when you fail, you will come back and strengthen your brothers. What? You prayed what? Yeah, Satan came and asked if he could sift you as wheat and I'm, I'm gonna let him. And you're going to fail. And when you do, my prayer is that you will come back to strengthen your brothers. All this news has been dropped on them. I mean, within the past hour or so. Remember at the end of, of John chapter 14, Jesus has to get them from the safety of the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane. And he does so by saying, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And then he gets to the end of 14 and he says, so rise and let us go from here. The scholars debate whether or not they actually left from there. I think the language is pretty clear. They're at least on their way, making their way. So now we have this conversation with Jesus and what's remaining, the 11 disciples startled, um, emotionally numb to what's happened. 
uh, with Judas fresh on their mind, the words of Jesus to Peter fresh on their mind, Jesus knowing he's heading to doom, he's heading uh, to be arrested and then tried and then crucified. We know where this is going. Jesus says this, starting in John chapter 15, let's begin in verse one, we'll go through verse 16. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. This is, um, we often skip this verse, don't we, when we read John 15? We get to the good stuff. There's some stuff in here, these first three verses. We like to get to like five or six or so, and we like, I am the vine, you are the branches. We like that. This one we skip past, and it's, it's, a, it's a problem that we do that. Jesus qualifies the vine, says, I am the true vine. Throughout the Old Testament and throughout history, um, scholars, scholars, teachers of the law had referred to Israel as the vine. Prophets have referred to Israel as the vine. Jesus referred to Israel as the vine. They were the vine. They were the one by which if the people of God would attach themselves to Israel, to Jewish custom, to Jewish religion, Jewish belief, Jewish tradition, if they would attach themselves as branches to the vine of Israel, that's where they would find life. But at this point in history, Israel has continued to fail God over and over and over and over again. And before we begin to judge Israel, let's realize that we are just like them. So they actually aren't the vine. And so Jesus is telling his Jewish disciples, what you've heard about Israel, I need you to know, it's actually me. I am the true vine. I am what you attach yourself to. I'm the source of life. It's not Israel. It's not the religion of Israel. It's not the nationality of Israel. It's me. It's been me. It's always been me. It will forever be me. I am the true vine. And then he says, and my father is the vine dresser. We often neglect this character in this metaphor of the father being the vine dresser. Uh, some of your translations say he is the gardener. So he is the one who cultivates the land. He's the one who plants the seed of the vine. He's the one who cares for the vine. Jesus is the true vine. It's not Israel. It's not religion. It's not nationality or uh, nationalism. It's not tradition. It's him. And then there's a father figure, God, who is the gardener, the vine dresser, the one who cares for the vine. This is important for us moving forward. Verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And this is where I got stuck. Just verse two. I'm like, this is, I got a lot more to go, God. We're gonna have to get through this one pretty quickly. This is where a number of us get stuck. And we've got a couple options here of how we handle it. There's two places that are sticky here. Verse, one, verse two, the first part. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Some of your translations say he cuts off. Now, um, this phrase, this first part of verse two, is what's been taken by churches and denominations who would believe that you can lose your salvation. Now, we as a church do not believe that's biblical. We believe that once you are in the Father's hand, nothing can take you out of the Father's hand, nothing. No one, no principality, no power, no dominion, nothing can take you out of the Father's hand. But those other uh, kind of veins of Christianity would say, no, no, you, you can be a Christian and then God can either take you away or you can decide not to follow him anymore. And they would reference this verse that says, every, every vine in me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I cut off, I remove. That's one way you can go with that. Another way you can go with it 
is that this phrase takes away is the Greek word aero, A-E or A-I-R-O. It's used in other places and it has two kind of differing translations. And instead of takes away, some would say it means to lift up. The idea that a vine dresser, a gardener would find a vine laying on, a branch laying on the ground, not producing fruit, be covered by other branches, not getting enough sunlight, to be stuck in the dirt. And the vine dresser would then lift up that branch and place it on a, a, a trellis, a stone, anything to get it up out of the dirt that it might bear fruit. And so um, commentators would say, you know, even throughout John, he uses the word arrow in this way. It's this way throughout the New Testament. I want that to be what this passage says. I desperately would prefer that. I would prefer verse two to say, hey, if you're not bearing fruit, it's okay. God will lift you up. I can't teach that from this passage today. Because contextually, what's just happened? A branch, Judas, who they thought was connected to the vine of Jesus, has proven himself to not be connected to the vine. And therefore, he has been taken away. That's what's fresh on their mind. This is Jesus speaking to those who would come near to Jesus, who would even walk alongside of Jesus, but would never actually abide, dwell in, find their nourishment from Jesus. Those branches are not true branches and they are cut off and taken away. Believe us what this passage teaches. Verse two, I think the word should be takes away. You wanna know why I believe that? Because every single translation says takes away. Every single one. So I do not believe it's saying you can lose your salvation and I do not believe it's saying it's okay if you don't bear fruit. What's happened for many of us in following Jesus is that we've grown accustomed to knowing 75 to 80% of Jesus. And we've grown accustomed to that in such a way that if you would ever come in contact with someone who, who actually knows Jesus, like 100% knows Jesus. Remember in, in John chapter 13 when Jesus was trying to wash the disciples' feet and Peter said, well, if you're gonna wash my feet, then just wash all of me. And Jesus says, I don't need to wash all of you. You're already clean. I just need to wash your feet. I just, I just need that 20% cleaned up and then you can have union with me, fellowship with me. But Peter was content to go the rest of his life at 80%. And my fear, not even fear, the fact is most of us are in the same camp, aren't we? I'll coast at 80%. And then when someone who is actually united with Christ, actually joined together in true, pure fellowship with him comes into my life, I think that person is a freak who has lost their mind. Don't we? Because when you come in contact someone who, with someone who is really filled by the Spirit, who is actually exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, who seems to just know Jesus on a level that you're not sure any human is ever capable of. There are people, people in this room right now in my life who I'm like, golly, if I could get there. But when we're content at 80%, that extra 20 just seems illogical. And so we coast. And so we twist scripture to say, you don't need to bear fruit. I mean, some of us don't. Where? If you know Jesus, you bear fruit. 
If you abide in the vine, you bear fruit. He takes away those that do not bear fruit. Then the next part might be even worse. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. I would much rather say every branch that does bear fruit, he leaves alone and doesn't mess with. Wouldn't you rather that? Especially those of us who are firstborn who are like, no, 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 uh uh-uh. That's not my fault. That's on the middle child. I didn't do anything like that. Amen. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, he he cleans off, he he cuts back. He doesn't cut away, he cuts it back. John Piper says that, that Jesus cuts away the lifeless and he cultivates the living. Those of us this morning, um, you've borne fruit and the reward for us bearing fruit has been a season of pruning, has it not? So that, according to the end of verse two, we might actually bear more fruit. And that's not a biblical concept. That's a horticultural concept. Those of us who have grown in age enough that we actually care about what our yard looks like. Have you gotten there yet? Where you obsess over it? But you've got uh, flowers and rose bushes and whatever in your yard. You've noticed that when you cut back a plant or a tree for a season, that next season, if you've done it right, you can't believe the blooms that have come from it. This is true. And for many of us, we would say, no, this is true in my life. There have been seasons where I've been bearing fruit and then I've been pruned and it was painful and I felt uh, like it wasn't fair and I didn't like what was happening. But then come the next season, what happened? You bore more fruit. You knew Jesus more. There's not a person in this room who would say, you know, when 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 I really got to know Jesus really well was when things were amazing. At the best times of my life, that was really when I connected to the Father. No, it wasn't. It was in the valley of despair when you began to know Jesus. Some of you are here this morning because you're in the valley. And God's using this valley to bring you closer to him. So issues here. Every branch in me does, does not bear fruit, he cuts off, he takes away. But branches that do bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Let me encourage some of us this morning, if you're in a season of pruning, hold tight. And it's not because you failed him, it's because you were fruitful. It's not punishment, it's for your growth and for your good. So yeah, there's seasons of pruning, but it's not meant as punishment. Verse three though, Jesus says, already you, you 11 are clean. You all, y'all are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, which takes us back to John chapter 13. And when he says to the disciples, no, 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 I just need to clean your feet because you're already clean. I just need your feet. This word clean is the same Greek word as prune in verse two. So what he's telling the disciples is, listen, here's what I need you to know. We're we're almost out of a season of pruning. You've already been cleaned, which means there's fruit coming from you. You're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Have you ever heard the word of God but felt like it was more painful than it was productive? The temptation as humans is to run from those convicting, painful words. But what he's saying is, when I speak a word that prunes you, get ready. But I want you to notice who is pruned. It's the ones who are fruitful. The ones who are not fruitful are just cut cut away. The ones who aren't fruitful are cut back. 
Also notice it's the vine dresser, the father who does the pruning. So please hear me in this. You and I don't get to prune each other. It's not our job. I'm just doing the work of the Lord. I'm trying to cut you back so you can be more fruitful. No, you're not. You're being a jerk. Stop. Just stop. It's the work of the Lord to prune, not ours. Verse four, now Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Circle that, highlight it, memorize it. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This word abide, we've heard it a lot through John. We heard it in uh, John 8. We heard it in John 14. We've heard, uh, we've heard it in John 13. This word abide, what it means is to remain or dwell or to make a home in. This is what it means to abide to remain in, to dwell in, or make a home in. Speaking of the vines and branches, it means to be nourished by. To abide means to remain in. So Jesus is telling them, pruning happens, fruit bearing happens, but here's what I'm telling you, abide in me. And you see the duality, when when you abide in me, I will abide in you, and we will be connected But the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It has to abide in the vine to dwell, stay, remain, or make your home in. But we as humans are prone to wander, to not remain. We're prone to move on to other vines to try to give us nourishment. And he's trying to tell his disciples, stay in me, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Dark season is coming, stay with me. It's literally going to be darkness over the face of the earth in just like 24 hours. Stay with me. Stay with me, stay with me. I am the vine, he says in verse five, you are the branches. Oh, there we go. We got to the part we like. I am the vine, you are the branches. You're not the vine, you're branches. I'm not the vine, I'm a branch. Other pastors and figures and uh, authors, they're not the vine, they're branches too. You don't connect yourself to some theologian or some pastor or some theology. We connect ourselves to the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides, dwells, rests, makes his home in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to notice the finality of this statement. If whoever abides in me, that's the one that bears fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, does not dwell or make his home in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. More evidence of verse two. But if you abide in me, you dwell in me, and my words dwell, abide, make their home in you. Those are his words. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. More on that later. Verse eight. By this is my father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so, what's the word? Prove to be my disciples. You wanna know how we distinguish between disciples of Jesus and those who are just pretending? We check for fruit. I love you enough to say this this morning. If there's no evidence of fruit in your life, you might need to check what vine you're plugged into. It's not an option. It's not that some do and some don't. It's not that only the elite do and then those of us more regular Christians, we don't have to. No, 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 we all do. 
vine, or branches connected to vines bear fruit, every single one of them. Every single one of them bears fruit. And this is how he's glorified, that you bear much fruit and that's how you prove to be my disciples. Fruit is the evidence of sonship, but fruit comes by pruning. Elsewhere in scripture, it tells us that God's discipline is also evidence of sonship. How do you know you're connected to the vine? Well, there's discipline and there's fruit. If you've been able to go your whole, if you've been able to continue in sin without the tinge of conviction in your heart, you don't know Jesus. You've just modified your behavior. If you're able to go um, season after season and never bear fruit, you don't know Jesus. You just work hard. So a couple questions. One is, what is fruit? Well, some would point to evangelism and people be, being saved. Some would point to churches being planted. Some would point to um, a number of different sorts of fruit. I think the Bible is clear throughout the New Testament. When the New Testament authors speak of fruit, they're speaking of Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. It's not external, it's internal. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the good news is, Paul says, there's no law against those things. You can do them. So if that's the fruit we're looking for, right? If it's the internal fruit of the spirit, the question is, how are we doing? Because it's not about how many Bible studies you're leading and what you've memorized and how many um, divinity degrees you have and um, if you're an elder or a deacon or if you're leading a small group, if you serve in the children's ministry or if you've led 3,000 people to Jesus, it's not about that. The question we're asking is, in your heart, are you growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? How are we doing? Because you can fake the other stuff. You can't fake that. Uh, you, can, you can sign up for all the teams and volunteer positions you want to and still not have the fruit of spirit in your heart. So that's the fruit. And the next question, the thing we have to wrestle with is our culture that is so founded upon production. So what we have to wrestle with in this verse is the temptation for many of us to say, well then let me go make some fruit. If fruit proves that I'm a disciple, I'm gonna go work my tail off to produce some fruit. That way you know that I'm a disciple. If the question is my fruit bearing, then I better get to work on some fruit. If you go to an apple tree and you cut a branch off of the tree, and then you come and set it on your dining room table. Are you gonna have apples in a week? No, why? Because it's not connected. Branches don't get to produce fruit by themselves. So the question is, is not that then. So then with this pressure in us to produce fruit and get results, which if I'm being honest and transparent, that's, that's hard for me. That's what I want to do with my life is to produce I feel valuable when I produce. I feel valuable when I work. I feel valuable um, when I have something after my name. I grew up going to a magnet, a gifted school, which just fed into that for me because I got good grades and it made me feel good. I like producing fruit. Culture tells me that's what I should do. And in contexts where that is, uh, has become the pinnacle I'm gonna excel there. Praise the Lord that Sharon Church is not that place. 
and it's wrestled my sinful heart to the mat. So what do we do? Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Just abide in my love. Dwell in my love. Make your home in my love. Which sounds super sweet and great on paper and in a Hallmark card, but what? How do you do it? How do you make your home in the love of Christ? Well, it would mean then that you are satisfied and contented by the love that Jesus has for you. And he tells you where that love comes from. It comes from God. His love is not built on your performance. His love is not built on my performance. His love is not built on my holiness or my goodness. His love is based on the fact that I am in him, that I'm his, and he loves me. And when I abide in his love, when I'm contented by his love, then I am free to serve. I'm free to bear fruit. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I can keep commandments. I like that. If I keep your commandment, I will abide in your love. Skip on down to verse 12. Sorry, Lord, let's go down to verse 12. What are the commandments? Well, Jesus sums up in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's really messing with our minds here. Here's what he's saying. The way to abide in my love is to love other people, but you can't love other people unless you abide in my love. Got it? You can't go out and try to love other people without actually feeling first loved by God. Everything else is just selfish uh, shenanigans trying to prove that you love somebody else because it makes you feel good. The only way to love is to abide in his love and the only way to abide in his love is to love. That's the commandment he's speaking of. But then look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Pick up what Jesus is saying. This abiding is not out of obligation or duty. This is not restrictive. This is not checking a box. This is not your your 10 minute quiet time in the morning. It's not what this is. To abide, it's not restrictive or punitive. In fact, it's the opposite. To abide in Jesus brings you overwhelming joy. Not just human joy, the Father's joy, that kind of joy. But in the church, we've done an awful job when it comes to joy, haven't we? We've done a terrible job when it comes to joy. What you've probably often heard is the distinction between happiness and joy. And whenever I hear that distinction, I'd much rather be happy than joyful. Well, happiness means that you laugh a lot and you smile and you just have a good time and you're with, you're with family and friends and you're eating a good meal. That's, that's what happiness is. The Bible does not want you to be happy. The Bible wants you to be joyful. Have you heard that before? Give me happy all day long. I don't want this. What if, what if happiness actually is part of joy? What if the church can laugh and have a good time? What if the church can enjoy each other's company? What if the church can enjoy a really good steak together and still love Jesus? What if that's true? What if we can find joy together? What would that even be like to find a church full of joy? You know those people that are 100% connected to God? You wanna know why you're drawn to them? Because they have joy. You wanna know why you despise them? Because they have joy. Abiding in Jesus brings joy. Yes, joy is contentness, contentedness and satisfaction even in the darkest day, but on the lightest day, it's full of laughter and fun. 
That's what joy is. And Jesus is saying to us, hey, if we would just connect to the vine, if we would just abide in the vine, we might have joy. Joel sent me his definition of joy. It says, joy is knowing the light is coming and holding on and living like it's already there because the Lord is faithful. That's what joy is. And when we abide, we get joy. It's not a chore. It's evidence of abiding. David would say it this way, that your boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Oh, that we would be a church full of joyful people when we abide in the vine. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. He's not inviting us into servanthood. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants because a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you darkness is coming and I'm telling you to abide in me. You know what that makes us? Friends. Friends. So when he asks us to abide, it's not punching a clock at work. It's going to a friend's house. To abide is not checking off a list. It's not putting in your hours. It's not making sure I do this or else bad things are gonna happen. It means, hey, your best friends invited you over. You wanna come hang out? That's what abiding is. The one who loves you with a love that's from the Father has said, I want to spend time with you. You got time? And too often we say, uh, I'd rather go to work. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. I've set you apart and I've gifted you that you should go, you might go, you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain. I love verse 16 because it takes the pressure off of us to bear fruit. You wanna know why you're going to bear fruit? Because God called you. You wanna know why you're going to bear fruit? Because God's equipped you. You wanna know why we are going to bear fruit? Because he has chosen us and appointed us to bear fruit. That's why. It's not because you have a college degree or because you don't. It's not because you're a certain color of skin or you're not. It's not because you're good at certain things or not. It's simply because God has chosen us. That's why we bear fruit. God's in charge of the fruit. We just have to abide, have to remain dwell and make our home in him and we can trust him look at the end he says for this reason that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you you have things you want to ask God for I do you know what he tells us to do first abide in him and when we do that when we are in him and he is in us whatever we ask in his name he gives to us Remember those branches that are cut off and thrown into the fire? Um, that's like somebody that forges God's signature on a check. We have access to God's bank account. So in his name, we can say, hey, this is what I'm asking for. But those of us who are not connected, we're just forging God's name at the end of our prayers. Probably shouldn't say in Jesus' name. So then what do we do with all this? Because there has to be something to do, right? Like he's called us, he's commanded us to abide. So how do we abide? What do we do? Well, before we can do that, I would say this first. Check your life for fruit of the Spirit. 
Just an honest assessment. How are we doing? I mean, sure, like you've grown an expert in the Bible and you can tell everybody else where they're wrong and um, you're even leading a small group. And, but my question for you is, how are you doing on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? How are we doing there? So year over year, how are we? Has there been an increase? You, have, you, have you sensed internally that? Have you sensed, wow, if I look back, I have, I've, have grown. You're allowed to say that. Has your spouse noticed? Have your kids noticed? Is there, is there that fruit in your life? Are you more patient? Have you ever tried to cultivate patience? Have you ever tried to be more patient? Has that gone well for you? It has not for me. Because every time I try to be patient, I get in the line at the grocery store where the person at the register has no idea what they're doing. But if I would just be contented in Jesus and just abide in him, what I've noticed is I don't feel rushed. I don't feel stressed out by that. So how, how are we doing? How's the fruit of the spirit? Is it increasing? Are we growing in it? Secondly, according to this passage, um, we need to abide in his love. Let him love you and then find your home there. Find your peace and satisfaction and contentment there, there. He loves me. He loves me. Abide in his love. Remind yourself of his love for you. Meredith and I spent uh, the beginning of our ministry um, life doing ministry with college students, young adults, and there's nothing like it. I love college students more. That's all I can say. I, I love them. Um, I think some of that's my own experience as a college student. Some of it is just that season of life that is so desperate for uh, something that they don't know how to ask for. But there's this moment for a college student um, when they're away at college, like the second semester of their freshman year, and they'll be um, coming home from somewhere and like a good son or daughter, they call home, right? They call to talk to mom and dad. And uh, mama will say, all right, hey, how was your dinner? Like, oh, it was good. Um, and she'll say, do you need more money? They don't say that, uh, but some do. And so, uh, and the college student was like, yeah, it was good. And, and he'll say, I'm on my way back home. And mama will say, are you serious? You're coming home? I've been waiting to do your laundry for like three weeks. I can't wait till you come home. You're coming home. And, and then the son's like, oh no, I meant my apartment. You know that moment? And then there's this wrestle in college students of, I don't know that I know where home is now. I don't know what, what is it? And, and then they come home for, for um, spring break. And they're like, oh yeah, this is home. This is what home feels like. So to abide in his love is this. Just come back home. Like you can come home. No matter how far you've run and you think you have other homes, other places, but when you're in the house of the Lord, when you're with his people, when you're in his word, when you're worshiping, you're like, oh yeah, this is it. This is, yeah, this feels like home to me. It's what it means to abide in his love. Let his love wash over you. And then when you abide in his love, that's the source by which you produce fruit. Otherwise, you're abiding in some sort of production vine and you're trying to produce fruit so that you might earn love. But to abide in his love is to understand you were loved well before you produced fruit. You remember, Greg taught on this uh, back in January, you remember that God, the Father, called Jesus his son, said, I am 
my son in whom I'm well pleased before Jesus did anything miraculous. He just was. I just wanna invite you to abide in his love today. He loves you. You're his, he loves you. Thirdly, uh, we need to abide in his word. And this is where I've lost us, right? The other two sounded good, but oh, so hard for me to read. I don't, I don't like to read the Bible. It's just hard, it's confusing. There's just too many words. I don't like this translation. I've heard too many things and I just don't have the time. You have the time. You wanna know how I know? Go check your Netflix profile. Right? You've got time. The 30 for 30s are gonna wait for you. They'll be there forever. Come back. We've got time. But I do wanna just, I wanna give us a few resources to help us when we abide in his word. John 8, Jesus says that if you abide in my word, you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Again, this abiding in his word is not punishment, it's a source of freedom. It's a gift that we have to abide in his word. Let me give you a few resources. One, it's just a Bible app on your phone or device. It's a YouVersion Bible app. It's simple. Uh, I think it's, it might be the most popular app in all of the app store. But you can download, it's free. You download it. Um, all kinds of versions and translations are on there. There's a number of Bible studies you can do. You can do like seven-day ones, three-day ones. Just ways for you to begin to study the Word of God. There's a thing in there where you can get an alert for the verse of the day every morning. Maybe you just need to start there. Let me just read this one verse today. I encourage you to the Bible app. The second one's called the Dwell app. I think it might cost some money, but it's, it's awesome. The Dwell app has a number of different things in there and different kinds of games and ways that you can memorize Scripture. Uh, me- scripture memorization is not just for preschoolers. We need to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. It's just called the Dwell app. You can look that up. A ministry called the Bible Project, which I cannot recommend enough to you. Uh, they have a YouTube channel and then they have a podcast and other resources as well. It's two guys. Um, one of them is uh, very scholarly. Um, he's like an Old Testament Hebrew scholar, um, loves the word, communicates well, and then the other guy is the rest of us who are just asking questions that we're always afraid to ask people. So he's gonna ask, he's gonna ask Tim a ton of questions. Like, oh, that, I don't understand that at all. That makes no sense to me. Just wanna encourage you, um, the Bible Project, they have a YouTube channel. They, you can study books of the Bible that way. They give you an overview of books of the Bible, different pieces and themes throughout scripture. And their podcast is phenomenal as well. And then finally, we have something on our website in the resources tab, we do the HEAR journal. We do it in our D groups. Uh, middle school students do it every other Sunday or so. There's learning how to study the Bible, H-E-A-R. H is for highlight, highlight a portion of scripture. Uh, e is explain, you wanna explain that. How, how would you explain that in your terms? How do you explain what that verse means? A is apply, how do I apply that to my life? What does that look like today for me? And then R is respond. How am I going to respond? We respond in prayer um, to that passage. So I wanna invite you to that. There's pages on our website you can download. They actually have a template for the HEAR journal. But we have to be abiding in his word. It brings freedom, church. It brings freedom. You don't get to know Jesus if you don't know his word. And then finally, we have to abide in him, in the person of Jesus. We have to abide in him. Meredith and I have adopted the practice <clears throat> over the past two, two and a half years of every Sunday night, um, we'll put the kids to bed. Depends, uh, the time of their bed depends on how the day has gone with them. And I have a friend who says it's always bedtime somewhere. And so that works for me. 
And so uh, we'll put the kids to bed and uh, then every, we have a standing date. It sounds very romantic, a check-in every Sunday night. Uh, after the kids are bed, they're in bed and we check in. And here's why, because I am prone uh, to forget that I have a wife who loves me and who supports me and wants to be with me. And so throughout the week, things will happen and I'll build a narrative in my head about how she actually feels about me. And that creates this distance, and I've never actually approached her about it. I'm just, I'm just imagining that she feels the way I think she feels. And so I, I grow distant and cold and hard from her. And so it's why every week we have to get back together and I have to say, hey, this thing happened, and I, this is what I'm telling myself. What did you actually think? And we check in, how was your week? How was your heart? What do you have coming up this next week? How can I help you? How can I be with you in it? And I know it sounds, maybe it doesn't sound great to you, and the first few were not great for me. They were not great, uh, but they've gotten great. But the reason is because we're both prone to wander to our own lives, our own things that we have going on, and we need that to come back together. Uh, we're the same way with God. The problem is we don't have regular check-ins with the Lord, right? We don't have time just to sit with him and to listen. And so we build narratives and we drift farther and farther away from his heart for us. Something called the rule of life that was uh, theologians, I mean, centuries ago had put into practice. And one thing that I've adopted in my life is just what's called transitional prayers. And it's kind of like this check-in. And so uh, to abide in Christ, to abide in him, is not a retreat to a monastery, right? It's not a, a seven-day trip to Jerusalem. Uh, to abide in Jesus has to be over and over again, regularly throughout the day. So I've adopted this over the past few years and it's been super helpful for me. And so I'm gonna just walk you through one of my days and a day in a way that if, when I'm doing this right, that I'm, I'm abiding with him, that I'm actually bearing the fruit of the spirit. So I pray where there's transitions in my day. So when I wake up, um, the first thing I do before my, my feet hit the ground is I just pray to the Lord. And when I say pray, I don't mean I quote the Lord's prayer and I use a bunch of these and thous and I talk about, um, God, would you just sanctify me today? It's often like, I'm so tired. It's, this has been a rough week and I just uh, need to get through today. In Jesus' name, amen. But I commune with him first, right? Like I, I abide with him when I'm doing this right. I abide with him first. Then on the days that it's my turn to take the kids to school, I'll drop the kids off at school and then I'll drive into the office. It's a really long drive from Old Middle to the office here and so I've got plenty of time to think. Um, but on my drive then, it's a prayer for me. Um, just to ask the Lord to be with me throughout the day. Now, I know that our jobs are very different. Um, people cuss all the time at my job, maybe not at yours as often, and so it's different, it's not true. Um, but I, I do have to pray against my own flesh throughout the day. And I have to remind myself that, God, I can't do this day without you, would you please? Here's what I have coming up. Would you walk with me into this meeting? Would you help me with wisdom and discernment in this time? And can you help me here? So what I've done, I'm just, I'm just abiding with him. I already have the time. I've just decided not to listen to a podcast or music or sports talk. Like I've just decided I'm, I'm, I have the time. I'm gonna use it for abiding. And so I abide with him on the way to work. And then there'll be meetings and I'll, before a meeting or Whatever, I'll stop and pray. And I just, I just spend some time. If I'm, I'm driving to a meeting or I have to walk down the hall to a meeting, I just begin with prayer, Lord. You know what this meeting is about. You knew it well before I did. Would you just give me your wisdom and your discernment and help me just to shut up if I need to? 
Then there's lunch. Um, and we're all really good at praying before our meals anyway because we've been taught that. And so we have some that we've memorized. But I would just encourage you, um, it's a natural transition. When you sit down to eat your lunch, just talk to the Lord. And sometimes it's, God, um, this lunch I'm eating now was really good as dinner last night. And I'd really rather go out to lunch. But would you miraculously make this taste as good as it did last night? Just work through that microwave and uh, bless my soul with this meatloaf. But it's just, it's a, it's a transition, right? It's a, I'm moving out of work into lunch, so I have, I have moments, I have time to pray. And then if those days that I'm studying are the days I'm really intent of like, God, I, I'm gonna read this through my own eyes, I'm gonna screw it up bad, would you help me? Like, I can't without you, would you please? Most important prayer I think I pray throughout the day is when I get home and I'll um, pull in the driveway and um, you can relate to this, you don't know what you're walking into at home. If your kids have been home, you don't know what you're walking into. Um, if it's the babysitter that's there and I'm coming in or if it's, if it's Meredith there most days and I'm, and I'm coming in, I, I don't know what that day's been like. I know my kids, so I can imagine what that day's been like. And what I mean is they've probably been praying and studying the Bible all day. So I'm gonna walk in. Um, but I just have to pray that um, I'm leaving a place where um, at least the people in the office pretend to respect me. And I'm going into a place where that's not the case anymore in my life. So uh, God, help, help, me to, help me to pastor my kids as their father, not as the pastor of their church. God, help me to be present today. Help me to be present when I get on the floor and play with my kids and build with Legos and play the Xbox. And I'm awful. Like I, I get home and my mind's still racing from work stuff and I, I need that time and I don't do it well. But what I'm doing is I'm, I'm abiding in the vines. So that what's coming out in those next few hours of, of play and homework and dinner and bedtime and baths and showers, what's coming out prayerfully is not my flesh, but the spirit. Then I lay down and Meredith and I, at bedtime, we'll just, we'll pray together before we go to bed. So do you see that it's simple, right? It's not, we can all do it. We can all abide in him. I just wanna challenge us this week. Can you do that? Can we find those transitional moments to give to him and to find ourselves rooted in him that we might be producing fruit that's pleasing and glorifying to the Lord? Let him handle the fruit. You handle the abiding. If you'll bow your heads, close your eyes, and we'll wrap up. Gotta get us out of here. I know where you are today, and maybe you are uh, like Judas. And the way that you know that you're like Judas is you don't have to question whether or not you're like Judas. You know you are. I wanna ease some of our minds this morning and for those of you who are like, ah, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if I am. You probably are then. Um, but I wanna set you free in this way that you can come home to Jesus. Whether you're Judas or you're Peter, you can come home. And maybe you have been pretending, maybe you've been um, walking alongside of and maybe you're in but not abiding in. There's salvation for you too. And the grace that's covered my sin will also cover yours over and abundantly. So if that's you, you can just confess right now. That's who you are. That's what you are. And you want Jesus to be your savior, your Lord, that you would abide in him, that you would find salvation. And there's some of us this morning who, um, that's not us. We know we're his. We just feel empty. We feel like we haven't been connecting well. That's on us. 
He hasn't left. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithful presence in our lives. I thank you for seasons of pruning as much as it pains me to say it. I thank you for it because I've seen the other side that there's fruit to be born. And in the midst of my pruning and new fruit bearing, God, I've learned so much more about you and my heart is so much more content in you and I'm not desperate for that from other people, but I have it in you. I pray that we would be a church of people who abide well in you, people who um, are bearing fruit, not because of our effort, but because of our time in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. May we be known for the fruit of our lives that's come from the vine of Jesus. May grace and peace be with you. You are dismissed, we love you.